time, but just uh, strengthen our walk with you. Lord, I pray that the rest of the day would go well, Lord, that we might even get an opportunity to just share the gospel with somebody else today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, cool. Okay. All right. So, um, so after reading John chapter one, what do you got? Anybody have anything that stood out to them that they really, really liked? Or maybe there was a question that they had uh, related to the first chapter. Um, John is one of my favorite books. Um, and I love chapter one. But anybody got anything? Karen. Dude, I don't know why you're sticking with that. <laughs> Come on, Karen. Where you at? I unmuted you. Come on. I oh oh okay I didn't know all right um so like we just discussed this I was reading with Leah is was Hitler an antichrist hi <laughs> I got Lucy saying hi to everybody oh okay um yeah hello hi. right here see him okay all right go I'm meeting with them. Go on, babe. Go on. I'm so excited. I know you're so excited. Go on. Go. Go. All right. So Lucas is failing in his job this morning. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, so I'd say, well, I think first of all, you know, um, I guess part of me is like John chapter one, I don't find Hitler in there and, and the Antichrist. But anyway, um, <laughs> But I think that Hitler was definitely a type of the Antichrist. I think that he could have been. Um, my take on the whole Antichrist stuff is that I think the devil always had someone ready at certain points in time in human history. So that way, if the uh, circumstances were right, that uh, they would have someone ready to go in order to kind of take on that role. Um, and I think it's been that way for quite some time. Um, I even think this is the same for today, too. So... You know, there's probably someone right now who the devil has ready to go to be that antichrist uh, if the time and everything aligns perfectly, which, you know, there's some crazy stuff going on right now. So I wouldn't doubt that, you know, he might be thinking strategically to always have someone ready to go at any point in time. Can you hear me right now? Yeah, Karen. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't explain how I we, we came up with this. Yeah, no, you didn't. Uh, That's okay. Go ahead. We were reading, and uh, I thought you meant like it was verse eighteen. It says, "Little children, little children, it is the last time." Uh, and as ye have heard, that antichrist shall come. Even now, we are uh, there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is uh, the last time. So, like, I think you read the wrong chapter. About, I think you read did you read first john i read the whole book okay that's why i didn't like, know it was first john one no we're doing just we're doing the book of john chapter one wait wait what <laughs> yeah yeah i thought you we're, i thought you said like first like just the entire first john oh no no no, no i said john chapter one so we're, oh. we're going to be going through uh. the entire book of john and uh um i mean I love first John. In fact, I read it this morning as well, but, um, but yeah, we're doing, we're doing John chapter one. That's kind of our, our focus. So that's why I was kind of like, where in the world is he going with this? Because in John chapter one, there's nothing about the antichrist. <laughs> I, uh, I may have messed up. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, more than likely. But it is okay. You still read the Bible, which is fantastic. So I'm proud of you, Jack. Or should oh. I say Karen? Okay, thank you. Was... Okay, yeah. Okay. All right. All right, awesome. <laughs> hey, thanks. Okay, uh, Alana, what do you got? Let's see here. Like okay, now you're unmuted. Oh, okay. So I had some things that stuck out to me, and then I had a question later. But uh, what stuck out to me the most is just, like, the disciples' faith, how, like, quickly they just, like, dropped everything, and they didn't even, like, question anything. Like, with Nathaniel, like, um, I was talking about how he was asking, oh, how do you know who I was? And Jesus was like, I saw you under a fig tree. And then Nathaniel was like, oh, you're Jesus Christ. You're our Lord and Savior. And Jesus is like, all I said was, I found you under a fig tree. Like, it just amazes me, um, like, how quickly they just go to follow God. And yes. I feel like it's so opposite of nowadays because when God tells us to do stuff, we question stuff. We're like, well, I don't know if that's the best idea or what if we did this instead. Mm -hmm. But we kind of have to be like the disciples here where we just trust God right away and just um, follow him. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so true. I love that one. In fact, I've often like, when you go through and you start to read through some of these disciples and their reactions and everything and, and what they say and how they go about it, that one with Nathaniel has always really stood out to me. And, um, and there's a couple, a couple of really good cross references that I think would be good uh, just for you guys to take a look at real quick. But the first one is um, Micah uh, chapter four. I want you to, so if you got, you got a minute, just hold your spot and John and uh, go over to Micah chapter 4. Um, I think this one's really interesting. <clears throat> and then there's one more that we can take a look at. But Micah chapter 4. Um, it says in verse 3, talking about the coming of the Messiah. In verse 3 it says, He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they that and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of the host has spoken it. And so you have that one. And then if you go over to Zechariah chapter three, this one's really interesting. In Zechariah, so it's the second to last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3. <clears throat> and in verse 10, it says, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. And so after reading a couple of those cross references, I firmly believe that Nathaniel was praying to God. And he was praying about the coming of the Messiah, and he was thinking about these verses, and he was literally seated underneath the fig tree. And so when you have that scenario unfold where he says, you know, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And so he was praying unto God, and I think that's why Nathaniel was so quick to be like, oh my goodness, you're the Messiah, you're it, because that's no it. one can know that except for you. And so there's little things like that that you start to, to find as you start to do some cross-referencing, especially on stuff like that that really stands out to you. We're yeah. like, wow, that is amazing. So that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, but I love that observation. Yeah, and then I had a question too. Yeah. So 
um, I don't know if it's like Cephas or Cephas, but it's like the name Jesus decides to call Peter. Um, yeah. I was wondering, like, why does Jesus kind of suddenly decide to call him that? And, like, why don't we really see Jesus calling Peter that afterwards? I mean, I might be wrong, but I, like, I don't really remember him, like, calling him that name afterwards. And I never really knew, like, why he gave yes. Peter that name. So Cephas, um, from what I understand, let me, let me take a look at this real quick. Um, so there were two names that Peter had. Um, and it was Simon, and then there was Peter. And there mm -hmm. were times where Jesus called uh, Peter one versus the other. But Cephas actually means a rock or a stone, or like a little stone or a little rock. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is that later on when you see in, um, let's see if I can find the verse real quick. Um, so in Matthew sixteen eighteen it says, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so, in the context of calling Peter Cephas, that's in reference to him being like a little stone. And then when Jesus makes this statement out of Matthew 16, 18, he says, thou art Peter, or Cephas, meaning little stone, and upon this rock, referring to himself, will I build my church. So Peter was going to be essential in the building of what God was doing, but the church is going to be built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And so um, that's kind of why he gave him that name. And there are certain times where he calls him Simon. There are certain times where he calls him Peter. And it's an interesting study to see when Jesus calls him one versus the other and mm. looking at the context of all that. So, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. What's the reference to that verse? It is Matthew 16, 18. Mm. And unfortunately, that's the verse that a lot of the uh, Roman Catholics use to talk about how Peter is the first pope. Because mm -hmm. they say, see, Jesus said he's going to build his church upon Peter. And that's not what it's saying there. Um, he's, he has a contrast. So he uses the name Peter as a small rock. And then he's contrasting that with him. Because um, we know from other verses that Jesus didn't build the church upon Peter. He built it upon himself as the chief cornerstone. And he had the apostles and the prophets. I think it's Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about that. So, yeah, that's a good one. Right. Is my thing on? Is it unmuted? Yes, yours is unmuted. Oh, sweet. I don't know how to raise my hand. So, um, <laughs> <Okay>. but <laughs> I thought it was cool. Uh, my Bible has like a little cross reference, but it's kind of like all goes together. When um, people came up to John the Baptist um, and they asked him, um, like, are you Christ? Like, are you the prophet? And so I think like John the Baptist obviously had to be doing something like really good. And I think that's a great testimony to us that like we should be doing something so well um, that people are like literally wondering what is inside of us. And when he answers, um, you know, he just gives the testimony and says like that he's just a picture or he's just like the frame of Christ. Um, and I think it's a good analogy to think of like going into um, like an art gallery. And if you're going to see this painting, but you see the frame, then there's obviously something wrong. Like, People shouldn't be seeing us, which are the picture frames. They should be seeing Christ, which is the picture. Yeah. And there was this like cross-reference in my Bible to Isaiah 55, um, 10. Um, and it says, uh, it's talking about just like, has rain and snow like fall from heaven? They don't fall on the earth without saturating it or without leaving some sort of seeds. So, like we might not always see the seed and the things that we leave um mm -hmm. we might not see the 
produce of it, but we, it's really important that we need to be working well enough to plant seeds. Yeah. So I thought that was a good reference. I really like that verse. Yeah, that's good. I, I have often thought about John the Baptist as someone who is an example of what we ought to be for a couple reasons. One, kind of like what you mentioned, they're like, hey, are you the Christ? And then he points them in the right direction. Um, so the things that we do are not supposed to give ourselves glory or to bring renown or, or anything to ourselves, but anything that we do should be redirected and say, no, I'm doing this because of, of God and, and who he is and what he's done in my life. And ironically, since uh, uh, Karen and I, uh, Jack, read First John today, there's, this verse popped out to me, and it was First John 2, 6, where it says, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. So the way that we walk should be the way that Jesus walked, because then when we do what we do, we can point it right back to him. And especially in times right now where things are just kind of unstable, unsure about what's going to happen, uh, the way that we walk really matters now. I won't, I won't say it matters now more than ever. It always matters. But right now, I think the things that we say and that we do matter a whole lot because there's more people that are watching and then we'll have the opportunity to be able to give them the truth um, just more readily. We need to be ready for it. So, yeah, I think that's good. That's good. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Um, Emily, go for it. That's me. Okay. Yes, that is you. You are Emily. The <laughs> <laughs> um, first four and five was, like, so awesome this morning. And I've read over it so many times and never seen it. Um, but it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Yeah. And I've never seen that before, and so it was like, what? And I got, like, super excited. <laughs> um, so, like, the part where it's like, the life was the light of man, like, I love the way that's worded, because it's like, mm -hmm. if everything else around us is ruined, like, we're having the worst day possible. Yeah. Um, our relationship with God should brighten our countenance and our conversation. And like, that's kind of convicting because I've lately, I've really let things that happen at school dictate my attitude towards like mm. the rest of the day. And I just let it ruin everything. Mm. Um, and then like, it talks about the darkness comprehended it not. And it just, it shows how like just trusting God, like that's it. But like it brightens our countenance and our conversation that shines brighter then um, that shines brighter and is more noticeable than putting on a happy face and like doing the work when you aren't really trusting him on the inside. Yeah. I was just like, what? I, I got really <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I love it. Be, there's those verses. There's so many things that are, that are in those verses. It's unbelievable. But, um, you know, talking about, so in him was life and the life was the light of men. So that means that every person has the light of God inside of them as far as the witness of who God is. And, uh, and, and what I love about that is, you know, I think I'm, I, I may have shared this with you guys, but I know that if you were to study and you were to find, there's been some scientists that have, um, have taken a, a recording of uh, when, when conception actually begins inside the womb. And what's really interesting, if you've never seen it before, it's fascinating. But the moment that the sperm enters into the egg, there's a flash of light that happens. And they've been able to record it and show that, that there's actually a flash of light that occurs 
when that happens. And it makes me think of this verse every time that I read it, because every person that is conceived, every person that is born into this world literally has light in them just from conception, but also God revealing the truth of what, of who he is and what he's done within their conscience, the law written on their heart, all that stuff. So that way they can't refuse it. And even though the light shined in the darkness, the darkness doesn't comprehend it. But yet it's still there. And it's a constant witness of who God is, which should really give us confidence in all that we do. And it should change our perspective. So I love those verses. I love what he taught you. And I love those verses. Those are good. Awesome. All right. What else we got? Anybody? Anybody? All right. And the other Emily, Emily Owens. Go for it. Okay, so I just had a question. Maybe I'm the yes. only one confused by this. But I was reading the second part of the chapter. Yeah. And in verse 21, he says, And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. So at first I read this, and I thought they were asking him again if he was Elias. But then you go down through the chapter, and it's verse... 25, and they asked yeah. him and said unto him, Why by bapti baptizest thou then, if thou be not Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? Yeah. So I was like, okay, I don't know who the prophet is, but it's not Elias. Yes. Okay. So Great question. I, Go for it. I cross-referenced to Malachi. Yeah. And it seemed like the prophet was Elijah. Mm-hmm. But then I was confused because I was under the impression that Elias and Elijah were the same person. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So there's a couple things here. So Elijah was definitely a prophet, uh, but Moses was also. And um, so Elijah or Elias, as it talks about there, they're saying, hey, are you him? Because in Malachi 4, the one you cross-referenced in verse four and in verse five so verse four says remember ye the law of moses there moses is mentioned my servant which i command unto him in horeb for all israel with the statutes and judgments and then verse five behold i will send you elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the lord and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest i come and smite the earth with a curse now this is why they asked obviously art thou elias um, because they were looking for, for him. They were looking for Elijah. And the another good cross-reference on this one, um, there's two that I have in mind. Um, the first one dealing with Elias is, uh, let's see here. All right, let me go back. <clears throat> All right, let me see here. Um, okay. And... Okay, it would be uh, Matthew eleven fourteen. In Matthew eleven fourteen, um, he's speaking. Uh, Jesus is here, and he says um, in verse. Let's see, eleven fourteen is the core verse, but if you back it up a little bit in verse seven, it says, "And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, John the Baptist." What went ye out to, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, and he kind of keeps going. Um, and then he even calls him in verse 9, A prophet, yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And then he kind of keeps working through it. 
And then verse 14, he says, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Now, Malachi chapter four is saying Elias is going to come. And then Jesus actually calls John the Baptist. This is Elias that I told you to be looking for. So he was Elias. He was the one that they were looking for. And so even though he said no, he actually was because Jesus called him Elias. This is, this is it. If you're going to receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He was supposed to turn the hearts of the children of their fathers and do all that stuff that Malachi even prophesied of. So there's two, there's two explanations behind this. Either number one, John the Baptist was literally Elijah, which, I mean, that's kind of what Jesus says right there. Or he came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah which we see that Elijah in his spirit and his power was transferred from himself to Elisha after he was taken out. And so it's not a, a far stretch for, for it to actually be, no, this was John the Baptist, but he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So hopefully that makes sense. So I wanted to share that one with you because I thought that was kind of cool and it ties right in with John chapter one. But then the second thing is um, uh, how it references Moses. Now, with Moses, um, I'm going to go back to that Malachi and find that cross-reference here real quick. Um, all right, so let's see here if I can find it. Uh, okay, it would be in Deuteronomy 18.15. Um, in Deuteronomy 18.15, it says, Moses is speaking here, and it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, capital P, so we know it's a proper noun, talking about the Messiah, the a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. So in John chapter 1, when they're asking, you know, are you that prophet? Are you Elias? Okay, so that's where Malachi 4 comes into play. Or are you that prophet? Is this the prophet that Moses was actually talking about that we should be looking for? And so those are the two questions um, that they're asking, uh, which are the two big things that they were looking for because they all looked up to Moses. And Moses says, you're going to be looking for a prophet like unto me. And then, of course, Malachi 4 talks about you're going to be looking for Elijah. And, of course, John the Baptist came in that same spirit and the same power of Elijah. There's a lot of similarities between Elijah and John the Baptist, even down to their raiment and what they ate and all that kind of stuff. It's quite interesting. So let's see here. So does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, good question. All right, what else we got? Anybody have anything else? Diane. all right no you go okay okay, okay so you guys, you guys first then ethan okay so the biggest thing that really uh or biggest verse that stuck out to me was just verse seven when it was talking about why or john the baptist's mission or the purpose why he was here and it said the same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe yeah so john's whole reason was to bear witness of jesus mm -hmm. and i think just how that applies to us is that should be our mission too in life. Yeah. We should be working every day 
not only just to keep a good testimony, but to be witnessing to others about what Jesus did. Yep. And then yep. also verse 10 and 11, um, verse 10 talked about Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Mm-hmm. And then verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. And that makes me think just, you know, even when Jesus was physically here, people didn't receive him. Yeah. And people, I mean, there's tons of people who don't receive him now. And I think back to even verse five, when it talks about how the darkness didn't comprehend the light, you know, yeah. people don't receive Jesus because they don't understand. Yeah. And I, taking that back to verse seven is, you know, John's mission was to make people understand and that should be ours too. So we should be out there trying to teach others and to really help them comprehend what Jesus did and why. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of misunderstandings about who Jesus is for sure. Um, and we definitely need to do our part to try to do whatever we can in order to help people understand that taking advantage of the opportunities that we have, even to the point where, um, you know, even later on where you had the disciples of, of John the Baptist uh, in verse 29, it says the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and, and saith, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so he clearly lays out who this Messiah is and why they should be taking heed to him. And then in verse 36, it says the next day, verse 35, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So you have a situation where two of John the Baptist's disciples literally leave John the Baptist to start following Jesus. And that should always be our goal. So we're out there trying to you know, look for receptive people that we can talk to about who Jesus is and clear up any misconceptions people might have in order for them to receive the truth, for sure. And then as you start to make disciples— and they follow your lead, there comes a point where they need to leave you and start following Jesus. Because if a discipler doesn't train their person following them, their disciple, on how to leave them and start following Jesus, then they failed. Because you're not always going to have people around you. Um, You know, one of the things I hate to think about is I hate to think about the fact that one day my parents are going to die. I don't want to think about that. But it's a reality that there's going to come a day where they're not going to be around anymore. And can I keep going? And it's a great reality to think about because, you know, one day you're not going to have other pastors and other leaders necessary to look up to. And if that day were to ever come, you know, what would you do? I've even thought a lot about that with what's going on right now. Um, You know, let's say something happens where, you know, we could never really meet, face-to-face again now I don't think that's going to happen but what if it did happen you know my mind automatically goes to and I was talking with Pastor Tom about this yesterday my mind goes to well I know where I live and I know there are people that are a part of our church that live within you know a five to ten mile radius of where I currently live does that mean that somehow I would have to start pastoring that portion of our church that's around this area And then what would I do with the people in the houses that are around me? Why not be reaching out to those houses or those people to see if there's anybody that would want to be a part of this new local church that's kind of in this particular area because we can't meet anymore together in Jackson. My mind just automatically starts going there. That freaks me out (laughs) to think about that. But at the same time, if that's what we have to do to keep the ball going, I mean, we got to do it. 
Um, and I think that's hard sometimes for your guys' age because I think there's a lot of, of high schoolers that are faithful because of other people's obedience, that they'll follow Jesus because other people are. But what would happen if no one else did? Would you still? And, uh, and that's a great test of your faith. And I think right now is a great test of, I don't know, how much does God really mean to you? Uh, how much time and effort are we put into our walk with God as we're, our, our whole world and routines are put upside down? Um, so anyway, yeah, no, that's good. I like those ones. I think John the Baptist is a great example of what we should, what we should be, what we should do, how we should be going about it. That's good. Thanks, Sam. Do you have something, Gibby, too, or you want to just let Sam speak? Got it. All right. All right, Ethan, go for it. Um, so one of the verses that just popped out to um me to um me when I was um reading and stuff from well, this morning was um verse twelve and it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Um even to them that um even to them that believe on his name and I just still think it's crazy like how we're going to have like not the same like status as Jesus but some sort like of a similar inheritance and even though we aren't worthy at all so like I just am like I don't know it's just in my thought and it was cool um just the grace of God and all the grace that he that he shows us because I'm all that because I'm all that we have to do is to um receive his son in order to receive that um inheritance and then yes something else that stuck out to me too um was somewhat you guys were speaking about um just how much John the Baptist and his story um just um reminds me of discipleship and how um we're supposed to be um with people um because um we're the um end goal is to not get people to follow us but amidst to point them to to Christ and that's all John the Baptist um did and then um, yeah, I actually had a question too. Sure. Um, so it was the um, last verse of the chapter. Okay. Um, so Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God um, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Mm. So um, I wasn't sure exactly what Jesus was referring to there when he was talking to Nathaniel. Yes. Okay. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Um, let's see. I don't have that one written in my margin. I'll have to find it. Okay. So the only other time in scripture that you see uh, anything related to what he just stated there is with mm -hmm. Jacob. Um, let me see if I can find huh. that passage. Uh, okay. Genesis 28, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so Genesis chapter 28 and um, let me get that verse here real quick. 
Okay, so Genesis 28 in verse... Um, Oh, where is that at? I know it's here. Uh... Um, is it verse 12? I mean, he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay, yep, perfect. Verse 11, so, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took the stones of that place and put them for pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. I've never slept on rocks before, but that just seems very uncomfortable. Um, and then verse 12, <clears throat> and he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So, okay. So that's the only other place in scripture where anything like this occurs. And so okay. when, when Jesus says, from henceforth, you shall see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of God. Jesus is referring to himself as that ladder between heaven oh. and earth, which goes okay. perfectly with like John fourteen six. you know, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Um, okay. And so you start to kind of see that this was a type of Jesus Christ back in Genesis 28. And, uh, wow. and that he is okay. that mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ out, out of, uh, I think it's First Timothy, um, where it talks about he's that, the only mediator. So, um, so yeah, that's the only thing that I've, because I've run across that verse before too. And that's the okay. only thing that really makes a good solid connection between, um, you know, what he was talking about and you have this other scenario here. So, and this ended up being a place that he ended up, which if you, if you were to study Bethel, Bethel is a very important city in Israel's history, and <clears throat> and there's a lot of things that God did in that place. Um, so it's just very interesting. But yeah, I, I definitely That's think cool. it's a type of, of Christ that you have here in Genesis 28, and then Jesus kind of fulfills that by quoting that, and then what he did yeah. through the crucifixion. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Good question. Thank you. Good question. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Good question. All right. Let's see. All right. Um, so is it Gibby or Sammy? I can't unmute your guys' mic. There it goes. It's me again. I just wanted to say uh, something off of what Ethan was saying in verse 12. Yeah. When he's talking about how Jesus, I mean, and verse 12 says, but as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And a verse that I kind of cross-referenced that too is Romans 8, 16 and 17. Mm -hmm. uh, which says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Mm -hmm. And then one other verse back in John one verse 27 says, he it is who coming after me is preferred, preferred before me whose shoes latch it. I am not worthy to unloose. So I just think like in Romans and also in verse 12, I mean, we're going to be joint heirs with Christ. Yeah. Yet we're not even worthy to tie his shoes. Like if he yeah. was standing before us. And I just think like, it's pretty encouraging just how much Jesus actually loves us or God loves us. Yeah. Let us be joint heirs with Christ, be there 
right there with Jesus, even though we don't deserve it at all. Yeah. We don't even deserve to stand in front of him, yet he's going to make yeah. us joint heirs and just yep. how much he loves us to be able to do that. Yep. And I will tell you, this is something that um, I hope the number one that we all can understand and number two that we never get over. Um, Cause I feel like if we, if we get over stuff like this, where I am actually in God's family, um, I don't deserve to be. Uh, and the things that I receive, I do not deserve whatsoever. It's just by the grace and the mercy of God. Um, it makes us more thankful. It makes us more grateful. I think it makes us more faithful with all the things that God gives us. Um, like even today, this morning, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to follow some semblance of a routine, but um, you know, this morning, Lucas and I were up and he had breakfast and everything. And so we're trying to carve out some time because he's doing schoolwork every day where he can do some Bible work. And so I went over one of the lessons that he would have learned uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before in Sunday school because Rob Densmore sent him out to all the parents. And so we were going over the story of David being kind to Mephibosheth. And number one, I love that name. I think someone should name their child that. It's a very tough one to say. But anyway, I love that scenario because you have this guy who is the son of Jonathan and David loved Jonathan, but it's from the house of Saul. And so when David takes over the kingdom, the other king and his family, I mean, frankly, they probably deserve to be destroyed altogether and have no inheritance as far as what they had because Saul had lands and possessions and all that. And so David calls Mephibosheth in and restores unto him all the land of his father and then tells him that he is going to eat at his table as if he was one of his own sons. And you find out Mephibosheth was a guy who was completely lame in his feet, so he couldn't even walk. And so I was telling Lucas, I'm like, that's amazing that, first of all, it's an honor and a privilege to eat with the king. But then you have this guy who is lame in his feet. He can't walk. He can't really do anything like that. Doesn't deserve to be at the king's table because his grandfather was the king of Israel who tried to kill David. And then you have this scenario unfold where now he's allowed to sit at the table as if he's one of his own sons. Like that was just amazing to me. And I'm like, Oh my word, that's the gospel. This is us. We are lame in our feet. We can't walk without help. And then secondly, we used to belong to the enemy of the King and we don't deserve to sit at his table. And yet God says, no, you are welcome. And I'm going to restore unto you the lands that belong unto you. And you can always eat at my table. And it was just really, really sweet. So we should never get over that. We should never get over what we have in Christ. And when we do, there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to sin, that we're going to fall short, that we're going to make some huge mistakes because we're not keeping those things in mind like we should. So, yeah, that's good. Thanks, Sam. Um, All right. What else we got? Have something. Okay, go for okay. it. Um, this just kind of reminds me of the character Barabbas um, when Jesus was uh, going to the cross. You know, a lot of times we don't really think about that because um, I'm just looking in Luke 23 and it starts in verse 13 uh, where it's talking about like you had this perfectly innocent person and then uh, you had a criminal and mm -hmm. the people chose Barabbas and I think we get so fed up sometimes in like the littlest things um, yeah. with, you know, honestly, like jealousy, like they have that, 
thing that I want, the relationship that I want, whatever it is. Um, and so Barabbas probably had that freedom that Jesus wanted, and yet Jesus still chose to like love him so, so in depth. Um, and that kind of reminds me of the verse where it says, uh, verse four of John one, um, and it said that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Like Jesus didn't let his circumstance and the darkness mm -hmm. and sin, which he hated, overcome his love for Barabbas. And I thought that was a really cool, like, mm -hmm. example of what we're supposed to be. But also just yeah. like, it really is like touching to see that God chooses even the worst of the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I love that example with Barabbas. I mean, it's, Jesus was about to go do something on the cross that was perfectly illustrated by what happened with Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. He was set free and Jesus was killed. And I'm like, that's exactly what, that's exactly what the gospel. I mean, we were set free when we did not deserve it and he died in our place. And I would, I hope, I don't know. I mean, there's no indication that Barabbas did receive Christ afterward. But there's no doubt in my mind that he would have heard the message and he would have heard even Peter preach in Jerusalem um, in Acts chapter 2 uh, and the other messages. And maybe, maybe Barabbas ended up getting saved. We have no idea. But I would think that God would be moving in his heart with that example alone in his own personal life in order to make him uh, be in a position where he ended up getting right with God. That's an interesting thought. I like that. That's good. All right. What else we got? Anybody else have anything? I was just going to mention the same thing off of uh, 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> that kind of jumped out similar to what Emily had mentioned. You know, and without him was not anything made that was made, made that was made in him was life, and uh, life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. So I had an opportunity to witness with a guy, uh, and uh, it was just interesting. He was sharing about his health issues and he was sharing about, you know, how he lost his wife two years ago. And I mean, he's working through all this stuff. And, you know, so I was like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, so I had an opportunity to share my testimony with him and explain to him about, you know, salvation. And he didn't really, you know, he didn't really engage in the conversation. He didn't ask anything else about it. So then we went on to talk about a couple other things and then he, you know, I had an opportunity to make a second pass with it. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay. And same thing, like, you know, you, you get done sharing, you, you, you're planting that seed and, and, he, and he received it not, you know, there's no, like no interest. It's like, even when I was a little kid and people would, you know, if I, if people were talking about God or talking about Christ or whatever, I, I still even had a little bit of an interest that was there even as a kid. And then you're talking with, you know, grown men or adults or you know, even guys that are older than me and, and they receive these things not, and they comprehended it not. It's like, they're fine with that darkness. And it's just, it's, it's weird. And then verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. And I don't know. It's just reading those kind of stuck out to me. And yeah. I was thinking about this opportunity I had with this guy. And, yeah. you know, I'm like thinking, man, you're working through all this stuff. You're struggling with all these things. And, and I shared to him, like, you're going to take your last breath here. And you can be assured of your eternity. And crickets. Yeah. So yep. it's just, you know, reading <laughs> that last night just kind of stuck out. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. I, and I think that's why sharing the gospel is never a waste. Um, no matter what's going on in our lives, it's never a waste. Um, God's always going to use it. But I think there are times where it feels like it is. And that can discourage us from even sharing more things with more people at other times. Um, and, and I think the one thing that has helped me with that, and I still need to remember it, because if I forget it, then I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it is that God is always working on people. And, and there are things that, you know, that I may have said to someone a few years ago that now all of a sudden God brings to their mind because of the circumstances that they're in now. And, and I need to not take it so personal at times when people don't receive what I have to say or reject what I say or even get mad at me about it because I can take that very personal. And it can, very, it can discourage me from even doing anything um, but I need to remember that because God is always, his word never returns void. And even to the point where, you know, in, um, in their final judgment, let's say someone goes through this entire life and they never receive Christ as their savior. There is going to come a point at the final judgment where I believe that God is going to bring up some of these conversations and some of these things that we have had with people because it was at a clear point in time where someone was presented with the gospel, they understood pieces and parts of it, and they were able to respond, and they chose not to. And Jesus said, here was an opportunity that I gave you. Why didn't you receive it? Or here was something from, I just think those things are going to happen, um, which is why it's important for us to respond whenever God's convicting us. Because right? I think that, that sometimes we just don't. So, yeah, that's good. That's good, Rick. I like that. All right, uh, Emily. That's actually really funny that um, like Rick went there because I, when I was reading this, I was thinking in context of people at school who have just like completely rejected it. But yeah. as he was talking, I started thinking about like recently I've had this friend and I really thought like, oh my goodness, she's going to get saved. Like she gets it and like she's picking it up fast and like she's coming over every Friday and my mom and I are like going through stuff and like, like we're taking things out of the discipleship books to like kind of share with her and show her and give her like a taste of what this is. And I was so excited. And then um, there was a boy that got involved at school and she mm. like kind of just like face planted and just kind of wanted to stay there. Yeah. And I found verse upon verse upon verse in like my daily devotions. I was like, this is awesome. I got to share it with her and mm. I would share it with her. And she just kind of be like, okay but like that doesn't really solve my problem I'm like it should it should make you feel better I'm like oh like, <laughs> and like, it makes you feel better for you but and yeah. um she just like kind of never got it and I don't think the guy is not a very good influence and it's like obvious things to do and I'm kind of like hey you know like I don't know like this guy like what he's doing is kind of you know, weird. and she's like, yeah, but he can't really control that, and just, like, makes excuses for it, and I went home, like, really frustrated one day, and I was like, she doesn't understand, like, she's not saved, like, us, like, we have an understanding, because we have a relationship with God, but to her, these are just words, like, they're not actual, like, things, like, that's how, you know, she's not saved, like, she might have been getting him, but she might have been so close, but Satan definitely, like, just, like, got into her and yeah, got a foothold. So that was, yeah. anyway, that was really cool. And just kind of made me think of that, like, oh, 
okay, that makes sense. So. Yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. And that's why I love that parable of the four soils. Because in that parable, the word of God is always planted. In every type of soil, it's always planted, whether it's the wayside or whether it's the stony ground, the, the, thorn, the thorny ground, or the good ground. It's always planted, but what happens can differ based on what's going on. And so you have the wayside where it says that the unclean birds came in and took them up. And, of course, Jesus says those are devils that steal away the word of God that's been planted. And then you have the thorny ground, which is the cares of this world. Um, and then you have the stony ground, which seems like, yep, this is great. And I believe, but then after some tribulation and some difficulties unfold, it then chokes the word and becomes unfruitful. And then you have the good ground. And you really get to see, you know, how the devil works and how our enemy works and how this world works when the word goes out like that. But I also think it's the same for us too. And so it's such a good warning for us because even though we're saved, that still can happen to us. The cares of this world can still rob things that God wants us to know. And us with persecution and being like, yeah, you know what? I'd rather not. And then we just bow out. And um, yeah, those are great examples. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Alana, what do you got? Um, I kind of wanted to piggyback off of what Emily said, because I really liked it. How she's talking about how even though she understands God and everything, she doesn't have that relationship there's a big difference between like knowing about God and like actually knowing God for who he is. And I think it's really important to understand, especially like when having conversations with people, because I mean, you can tell anyone about Jesus, but like to actually show them Jesus and this is kind of uh, leading back to um, the discipleship messages on Wednesday, um, like a month ago, but like, it's important to just, do more than show them Jesus because anyone can tell them about Jesus and like they probably already know this stuff but you've got to show them like the love of God and like why it's important not just like what he did but like why they need Jesus and um it works better that way yeah it does and that's why even you see in Jesus where it and you'll see this I think it's in Mark I think it's in Mark but there's a pattern of Jesus's words and his works and they always Mm -hmm. matched up together uh, if, you, if we're hypocrites, there's no way that we're going to be able to be good, um, have a good testimony. And we're going to be able to be as effective as what we could be. But if what we say matches up with what we do, then it just makes it even more powerful and it even proves that God is even real because he's changing our life constantly. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Um, Karen. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> Um, I was trying to figure out how to change my name. Uh, <laughs> I think you might be st- stuck with it for a while. Like, even when we yeah, get I back, I don't think I'm going to call you Jack anymore. I'm going to call you Karen. Karen W. <laughs> um, I don't know who said something that reminded me. It said some, you said something about planting a seed. And then I was just like, it, it something along the lines of discouragement. I caught parts of it because my Wi-Fi is kind of bad right now, but, um, I heard somebody say, I don't know, but my point was, I was thinking like my dad, um, I've been witnessing to him since I got saved basically. And then it was just one thing after another has happened. And now it's just like, he has just recently brought, like, he's starting to get somewhere with it, but it's like really wacky doctrine. And I just don't even know how to tell him Like, we're on the same page for the most part but there's this 
he thinks that the rapture won't uh, happen until two to three years within the tr- trials and tribulation. And I, yeah, it's just I don't know where to go with that. And then hey, he's a whole he's a whole handful with that. I just, I just don't even know where to start with it. Like it's yeah. discouraging. When I I don't even know how to answer these questions because whatever I say it just doesn't go. It won't fly. You know. I don't know how how to witness any further with that or should I just take a break? Well, I think you just need to stay sensitive to the opportunities that you have. I mean, any spiritual conversation can be good. Just need to learn how to redirect it back to the things that are the most important. Um, Because like you said, you're pretty sure your dad's not saved, right? Well, I don't know now because he can, he can like articulate the gospel like like somebody from our church is really it sounds weird but like he he knows what he's talking about and then at the same time he'll like say something like totally off the wall and i'll just be like no it's not like that at all it's just i don't know he i feel like he just either doesn't know how to apply it because he's watching all these online services and stuff yeah and uh he texted my grandpa, who is, you guys know, he has cancer now, and he was, like, texting him and saying, um, you know, you need to get right with God and whatnot. And he was like, I just want to make sure if you ever want to talk about it. And I'm like, well, that's good that he's doing that, but I just don't want mm-hmm. him going, grandpa being, like, giving him the wrong information, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, so does your dad have a, so here's the thing, because I think there's a lot of people that make mistakes with these sorts of things where, um, you know, yeah, okay, someone, if they're saved or not, like, how can you know? And um, there's some people that think, well, you know, we're being too judgmental or, you know, there's not fruit that backs it up or, or whatever. I think that we have to really be careful because, you know, during this time in church history, uh, you know, this is called the the dispensation of grace, where kind of like that John one twelve, um, as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And John three sixteen, for whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So, you know, knowing that salvation is so simple, um, there are many times where I might see someone and I might doubt their salvation based upon their works. And I think that that is true because we can, we can be very hypocritical in our behavior. And if you really believe something, it should show up in your, in your behavior. However, I think that we need to be very careful because um, if someone has made a profession of faith, if they have come to that point where they, they know that they are a sinner, that they do need a savior and they have called upon him as the scriptures say, then I have to go based on their profession. Now, I might always have doubts in my mind because of their behavior, but I do know that they have a profession that they came to a point of decision in their life where they knew they were a sinner, they knew they couldn't save themselves, and they needed Jesus to save them. And so all those other things that are the unknowns, I, it's hard for me to make judgment calls on them because I'm not God, and that's in between them and God. So if your dad has come to a spot like that in his life, you could go off of his profession and you can have some other conversations, but maybe the reason why he's off the wall in some of these other doctrinal issues is because he has not been a part of a Bible preaching local church. 
He's never been taught how to read and to study the Bible for himself. Um, there's a lot of infant or toddler Christians that are out there. I mean, my toddler, Lucy, says the most awful things she could possibly imagine. And I, and I picture Christians out there that do the exact same thing. It's because they don't know. They're ignorant uh, because of just not understanding or, or many, many other things. So, um, so I think that's something you really need to consider and kind of work through. Uh, because if your dad has come to that spot of salvation, then maybe he is, but he's just ignorant on these other things. And, and as you have opportunity to talk to him, you can. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know what I'm talking about? How that all works out? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. But yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. But there's a lot of people that are very judgmental. And I think that they say, oh, this person's not saved. I'm like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> you can't just say that. I understand that work should back up the profession, but at the same time, I, we're not God. We can't judge the matters of the heart. Um, so, but I'm not going to be afraid to call someone out and say, hey, are you saved? Because I'm concerned about them. I think that's equally valid and we need to be able to do that. So, all right, cool. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> all right, anybody else have anything? Just to kind of jump off of that, um, yeah. one of the guys I had discipled, um, same thing, you know, the start, starting out in discipleship, I had him write out his testimony and went through his testimony. His testimony was solid. However, you know, the, the church that he was at and the pastor he was listening to was steeped in some crazy doctrines mm. and he would do the same thing. He would, you know, he would, we would be going through verses and we'd be working through the book and he would share well, doesn't this say this? And I mean, it was just some outlandish stuff. So, I mean, through discipleship, we were able to work out, you know, what different verses and what different contexts were and was able to share a little bit of how to study the Bible with them and told them, you know, yeah. you really kind of need to do that. And uh, I think I gave him my how to study the Bible notes or whatever, because one of the electives wasn't there. He may have taken it. I don't remember for sure, because it's been a little bit of time now. But he had a he had a salvation testimony, but the doctrines and the context of verses and stuff that he was being told by this other pastor yeah, just was, was bad. And we really had to work those things out. So it yeah. sounds kind of similar, but you know, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think all you can really do is just make sure that you're praying that God would make it clear to both him and to you too. All right. What do you got, Jack? Yeah, um, bouncing off that again. He, my dad, like I just, I didn't explain this before. He, he'll openly talk about his salvation testimony, but then at the same time, what's you said is, is it's really his works that, that make me question it mm -hmm. if it's real or not. But maybe like you said, he doesn't know any better, but then I just keep going back to this. I just, I don't know how to like confront him and tell him this, this doctrine that he's looking at is wrong because he doesn't read his Bible, number one. And number two, he's just watching these weird conspiracy videos on Christianity. And, and like uh, yesterday, he told me that the New Testament is invalid. And I just was, I just, I just didn't even know where to start. I was like, what? Like, I don't even, <laughs> yeah. what, are you, what are you supposed yeah. to do with that? <laughs> well, you know, it, no, I hear you. And, and I think that 
having some of those conversations will just make you sharper on being able to have more and more conversations. I mean, um, I think a lot of that is just kind of ignorance. Um, but at the same time, having these type of conversations with your dad could cause you to be like, well, you know, dad, that's not what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says this over here and, and to be able to talk about those things, but trying to do it in such a way that you don't cause major issues and get into, you know, knock out fights over, it's just, it's not going to be worth it. I mean, a simple comeback for that scenario was, well, if the New Testament's invalid, that means that puts into question everything that we believe about Jesus Christ and salvation. So that can't, that can't be true. I mean, but you just have to, you got to pray for discernment and then God would give you the right words to say at the right time, frankly, is probably what you need to do. So, okay, cool. All right. Well, I think that that is a good discussion for today. Um, so we'll do this again tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, um, and we'll do chapter two. So uh, Jack, make sure to read John chapter two, <laughs> not second John. Okay. Um, but this is really good. And uh, again, write down some observations, some questions that you have. And for those that miss this, um, I will be posting it on YouTube. So I'll make sure to put the YouTube link in GroupMe. If you have some other friends that want to join in on the discussion that aren't part of our youth ministry, make sure to pass them the link. Feel free to do that. It's an open link. So anybody can, as long as they have the link, they'll be able to access what we're doing. Um, so feel free to do that as an opportunity to reach out to people. All right, I'll close in prayer and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much for our time today. I pray that we take these things and we would hide them within our heart, uh, that we would be able to be obedient today because of the things that you've taught us, that we'd be thinking about each other, uh, praying for each other, praying for the circumstances that we're in and that other people are in. And if you give us an opportunity, an open door to talk to some people or to have conversations, um, I pray that we'd be able to do it. Uh, please guide our leaders within our government just to be able to guide us the right way. And I pray, God, that you would just give us wisdom all along the way. Thank you that we can trust in you no matter what happens in this world. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. I will check in with you tomorrow. See ya.